Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the Second Amendment and gun control. It's in the news these days. Also, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus Oz of Oz, will be joining us as well. It is September the 13th, and on this day in 1993, after decades of bloody animosity, representatives of Israel and Palestine uh, met on the South Lawn of the White House and signed a framework for peace. The Declaration of Principles was the first agreement between the Israelis and Palestinians towards ending their conflict and sharing the Holy Land between the River Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea that they both claimed as their homeland. <clears throat> Fighting between Jews and Arabs in Palestine uh, dates back to the 1920s when both groups laid claim to the British-controlled territory. The Jews were Zionists, recent immigrants from Europe and Russia, who came to the ancient homeland of the Jews to establish a Jewish national state. The native Arabs, they did not call themselves Palestinians at the time, sought to stem Jewish immigration and set up a secular Palestinian state. On May the 14th, 1948, the state of Israel was proclaimed and five Arab nations attacked to support uh, of the, in the support of uh, Palestinian Arabs. Israelis fought off the Arab armies and seized substantial territory originally allocated to the Arabs in the 1947 United Nations Partition of Palestine. After two successive UN-brokered ceasefires, the State of Israel reached formal armistice agreements with Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria in February 1949. These agreements left Israel in permanent control of the territory it had conquered during the conflict. The departure of hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Arabs from Israel uh, during the war left the country with a substantial Jewish majority, Israel restricted the rights of Arabs who remained. Most Palestinian Arabs who left Israel, uh, Israeli territory retreated to the West Bank, where they controlled by present-day Jordan, and others to the Gaza Strip, controlled by Egypt. Hundreds of thousands of exiled Palestinians moved permanently into refugee camps. After the early 1960s, the Palestinian Arab di diaspora had formed a cohesive national identity. In 1964, the Palestinian Liberation Organization was formed as a political umbrella uh, for several Palestinian groups and meant to represent all Palestinian people. The PLO called for the destruction of the State of Israel and the establishment of an independent Palestinian state. <clears throat> In the Six-Day War of 1967, Israel uh, seized control of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip, the Sinai Peninsula, and the Golan Heights, Israel permanently annexed East Jerusalem and set up military administrations in the occupied territories. Although Israel offered to return some of the territory seized in return for the security requirement of Israel, the Arab League opted against formal negotiations in this resolution. The Sinai was uh, later returned to Egypt in 1979 as part of an Israeli-Egyptian peace agreement, but the rest of the occupied territories remained under Israeli control. 
A faction of Israelis called for permanent annexation of these regions, and in the late 70s, national Jewish settlers moved into the territories as means of accomplishing the same. After the 67 war, the PLO was recognized as a symbol of the Palestinian national movement, and the PLO chairman, Yasser Arafat, organized guerrilla attacks on Israel from the PLO's base in Jordan and, after 1971, from Lebanon. The PLO also coordinated terrorist attacks against Israelis at home and abroad. These Palestinian guerrillas and uh, terrorist activity provoked heavy reprisals from Israel's armed forces and intelligence services. By the late 1970s, Arafat had won national acceptance of the PLO as the legitimate representative of the people. Uh, Egyptian and Syrian forces launched an attack against Israel on Yom Kippur in 1973, call it the Yom Kippur War, in an attempt to regain land lost during the Third Israeli-Arab War. A ceasefire went on into effect on October the 25th, 1973. On September the 17th, 1978, after nearly two decades of secret negotiations at Camp David, Sadat and Israeli uh, Prime Minister Menachem Begin signed the Camp David Accords, the first peace agreement between Israel and one of its Arab neighbors. The Accords uh, sought to establish a framework for peace in the Middle East, and both countries agreed to share the Nobel Peace Prize for 1978 as part of the agreement. These events ultimately led to Sadat's, Sadat's uh, assassination on October the 6th, uh, 1981, by Islamic extremists. So that's the story of the conflicts since 1948 in Israel. Of course, we've got the uh, Abraham Accords that were established a couple of years ago during the Trump administration, which took a different tack towards uh, resolving peace and leading to peace in the Middle East. Well, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday approved an impeachment inquiry against President Joe Biden, even as GOP senators warned against the measure. I did not make the decision lightly, McCarthy said when he made the announcement at the U.S. Capitol about his support for the inquiry. Through our investigations, we found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings, he also said. Eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls and had multiple interactions, dinners resulting in cars and millions of dollars in his son's and his son's business partners. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio and House Oversight Committee Chairman uh, James Comer from Kentucky are expected to lay out their findings from this panel's investigations into the Biden family during the Thursday's House Republican Conference meeting, according to uh, multiple media reports. Uh, McCarthy was expected to call an impeachment inquiry into the logical next step in the Republican-led Congress and House. The impeachment process starts with an inquiry where evidence is gathered for the impeachment charges to be brought against an official. A formal impeachment inquiry must be opened through the House vote, and it's unclear whether it has been enough support to pass, as several House Republicans have expressed skepticism about it. Additionally, Senate Republicans are warning the House against pursuing impeachment inquiry ahead of the 2024 election, which they could focus instead on the vital issues such as the economy and the border. Additionally, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has dismissed calls for impeachment, and Senate Republicans are doubtful he will ever take up a measure if it passes the House. It really comes down to just how you prioritize your time, doesn't it? I don't know of anybody who believes Chuck Schumer will take it up and actually have a trial and convict a sitting president, said John Cornyn from Texas. 
All I can tell you is it's unlikely to be successful in the Senate, Cornyn said. Rather than doing something they know is unlikely to end in the way they would like, maybe they just want to emphasize other things, he said. When asked about whether there is enough evidence for Biden to be impeached, uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capito of uh, West Virginia replied, I do not. Well, you know, here's the deal. <laughs> How can you be making up your mind before you've even seen the evidence, which is basically what the uh, Senate Republican senators are saying? Uh, they need to just reveal the evidence and then uh, take a vote as to whether it's sufficient to impeach. It's, and for that reason, as you can see, it's political. It's uh, not uh, have anything to do with the merits of the case, and certainly the merits of the case warrant impeachment. Senator Kevin McCarthy also urged President Joe Biden to engage in full cooperation with the impeachment inquiry. In a concise statement delivered on Tuesday, McCarthy emphasized the importance of transparency and encouraged the president and his team to actively participate in the investigation. <clears throat> you know, he, under, he said, you know, the American people have a right to know and you should want to put forth full effort in order to clear your name. Well, the White House... <clears throat> uh, not unexpectedly, has, has criticized the impeachment inquiry to the President Joe Biden, deeming it extreme and unjustified. Uh, White House uh, spokesperson Ian Sams expressed his perspective on the matter, emphasizing the House Republicans have been investigating the president for nine months and have failed to uncover any evidence, he said, of wrongdoing, a sentiment echoed by some GOP members. Unbelievable. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy initiated the inquiry in the U.S. Capitol building, asserting the House Republicans have identified serious and credible allegations against President Biden related to abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. <clears throat> Ian Sams characterized the inquiry as an example of extreme politics at its worst and suggested that McCarthy should consider holding a House vote officially to launch the inquiry. It's notable that the uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi did not take a step during the, her impeachment proceedings against President Biden and did not take a vote. So interesting. Uh, clearly, uh, Biden is a crook. He should be impeached. But all of this is politics, isn't it, the way this is washing out? Well, health chiefs yesterday recommended the new variant-busting COVID booster for virtually every American. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging every adult and child over the age of six months to take the new vaccine, which has been designed to uh, target new versions of the Omicron variant. The agency's independent panel of experts voted 13 to 1 to recommend the shots on Tuesday. Can you believe that? Where are the trials? Where are the tests? No, there are none. And now there's going to be uh, annual uh, vaccines. <clears throat> uh, what child at the age of six months is, uh, should there be a concern for exposure to, the, uh, to COVID? It's totally absurd. And it just demonstrates the uh, politicalization of the CDC. Officials of the Food and Drug Administration, on the other hand, announced Tuesday that one of America's leading cold medicines doesn't actually work, following a review of the latest research on the subject. Advisors to the FDA unanimously determined that uh, a decongestant found in most cold and allergy medicines, <coughs> excuse me, please, such as Sudafed, Allegra, and Dayquil, were no, essentially no better in providing relief than a dummy pill 
that according to the Associated Press. Modern studies, well, well conducted, are not showing any improvement in congestion uh, with this product. Uh, advisory Committee member Susan Blaylock added that the evidence is pretty compelling that this medication is not effective, adding she didn't believe additional data was needed to support the conclusion. So what they're going to do about this, I have no idea. One thing they could do is demand that all these medicines, Sudafed and others, be pulled off the shelves. Makes me wonder, since this is kind of happening in the same session with the approval of the vaccine, if perhaps they're not trying to amp up uh, more motivation for people to take the vaccines. Government's already made the purchase of billions of dollars uh, for these vaccines. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> well, in a letter sent to New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grissom on Tuesday, State Attorney General Raul Torres said his office would not be defending her administration in lawsuits relating to her blocking of the carrying of firearms in New Mexico. I'm writing to inform you that my office will defend, not defend your administration in the above reference cases, uh, challenging the public health or, or, uh, emergency order, imposing temporary firearm restrictions, he said. That's going to be the topic of our next discussion for our next visit with uh, Bob Levy, the uh, chairman emeritus of the uh, Cato Institute. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. 
Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot org, O-R-G, on the web. Thank you, Bob. Well, uh, the governor of New Mexico has decided that uh, the uh, Constitution and and the rights created there are, it's not absolute, I think is the word that she used, and therefore she's put a restriction on guns, uh, concealed carry for 30 days, and uh, so it's a it's pretty important issue right now. It's getting more and more attention. The Second Amendment of the United States says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to secure uh, the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In June 2008, the U.S. Supreme Court, with your help, uh, told us that what that means. The court overturned the D.C. gun ban because it violated the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms. Can you give them some background on this case? Yes. Let me uh, mention that New Mexico case that you mentioned. Uh, the, the case we're going to talk about in a moment, the Heller case, involved keeping a gun in the home for self-defense. Uh, there was a subsequent case just a couple of years ago in New York called the Bruin case that also established a principle that says you can carry a gun outside the home uh, for self-defense. The New Mexico edict by the governor goes directly against the case in New York and furthermore violates the well-established principle now that in order for a gun regulation to be valid constitutionally, it has to be traditionally part of a historical regulation of guns at the time of the framing. And, of course, there was no regulation of guns at the time of the framing that prohibited carrying a gun, an absolute prohibition on carrying a gun outside the home. So I think the New Mexico case is doomed to failure and for good and valid reason. Uh, the case you mentioned, however, in D.C. was the was Heller versus District of Columbia, a straightforward uh, constitutional challenge to uh, was one of the most draconian gun control laws in the nation. Uh, I filed the case along with two other lawyers way back in 2003 mm. on behalf of uh, six law-abiding residents who wanted to possess firearms to defend themselves in their home where they live and where they Sleep. So what, it wasn't about machine guns or assault weapons. It was about the right to own ordinary garden variety uh, handgun. And the plaintiffs didn't, in the Heller case, ask for the right to carry a gun outside the home. Although, as I mentioned, they did ask and get that right uh, in the Bruin case. The Heller litigation was about a pistol in the home for self-defense. So off and on, you know, D.C. had reclaimed its title 
not it wasn't just the nation's capital; it was also the nation's murder capital. And uh, the government had been totally ineffective at disarming violent criminals, but they did a really good job of disarming all their other uh, decent, peaceable residents. The rules were that no handgun could be registered in D.C. And even if you registered a a handgun prior to this ban that started in 1976, you couldn't carry it from room to room in your own home unless you had a license. And they hadn't granted a license in more than three decades. And even if you had a long gun, you know, a shotgun or a rifle, it had to be unloaded and either disassembled or bound by a trigger lock. So unless you plan to club somebody over the head with it, uh, nobody in D.C. could possess a functional firearm in his or uh, or her own uh, residence. Amazing. So did the Heller case uh, rely mostly on constitutional arguments or public policy arguments? Both. Uh, With respect to public policy, uh, killers who are not deterred by laws against murder are not likely to be deterred by laws against having a gun. Um, These anti-gun regulations really do not address the deep-rooted causes of violent crime. And by that I mean things like illegitimacy and teen pregnancy and uh, and um, unemployment, dysfunctional schools, the breakup of the family, uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Those, those cures are complex and they're protracted. But it doesn't mean you have to become uh, prey for the uh, criminals in the right. interim. So, you know, on strictly policy grounds, there was a compelling argument that Americans deserved an opportunity to defend themselves by possessing uh, suitable firearms. But even if the policy argument were to cut the other way, even if you could demonstrate uh, that more gun laws lead to less crime, these gun laws are not just about policy. They're about the meaning of the Constitution and particularly this uh, operative clause of the Second Amendment. So if, if we Americans were to decide that a ban on guns is required for public safety, then the answer is we have to change the Constitution. Yeah, We, we can't simply ignore this provision and act as though the document didn't exist. Uh, we've, we've chosen to have a written Constitution for good reason, and it's served us well for more than two centuries. I just want to underscore that, uh, Bob, you actually uh, represented the uh, plaintiffs in court and uh, in this case. So how did the Supreme Court conclude about the uh, Second Amendment and how it should be interpreted? Justice Scalia essentially rewrote the court's Second Amendment jurisprudence. It was a 5-4 decision. He held, first, the Second Amendment protects an individual right to possess a firearm in the home for self-defense, even if that's unconnected with any service in the militia. And second... Washington, D.C.'s ban on all functional firearms was indeed unconstitutional. So after the Heller case, reasonable gun regulations are still okay, but an across-the-board ban on all handguns in all places for all residents at all times certainly was not reasonable. And in fact, it wasn't a regulation at all. It was an out-and-out prohibition. And the Heller case says that is not permitted. So what's the logic underlying the court's opinion? 
Well, the court interpreted the main clause of the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, as defining and securing the right. The, the whole question is about this subordinate clause, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. And the court said that helps explain why we have the right. So membership in a well-regulated militia, that's a sufficient reason, but it's not a necessary condition to the exercise of our right uh, to be uh, to bear arms. If the Second Amendment meant only that states could provide uh, firearms to citizens serving in the militia, then the text would read differently. It would say something like a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the states to arm their militias uh, shall not be infringed. But the Second Amendment doesn't say that. Like the First and the Fourth and the Ninth and the Tenth Amendments, all of them, they refer to the right of the people and the placement of that amendment within the Bill of Rights. That's the part of the Constitution that deals exclusively with the rights of individuals. We secure the right of the people by securing the right of each and every uh, person. So the Second Amendment protections were not intended for the state, but for each individual against the state. Against It's sort of a deterrent to government tyranny. Yeah. Um, imagine if we had a right designed to deter government tyranny, but you could only exercise the right in a government-run militia. Where and how and when the government permits, that wouldn't be a right in any sense of the word. Yeah, I'd like to underscore it. I just, my, I've always interpreted the first, uh, the second amendment, uh, amendment as uh, being a, uh, a protection against government tyranny. In other words, if the government tried to disarm the American people, which usually most tyr uh, tyrannical governments try to do, uh, then the people would have less options in terms of protecting themselves and their property. Yes, and that's the reason that the militia clause was in the Second Amendment. We didn't want the government, the state governments, disarming the militia because the militia was designed as a protection against the federal standing army and the federal control of a federal militia. So in order to be able to protect ourselves against government tyranny, we had to have the militia clause. But that didn't mean it was the only reason right. that we could... Uh, we could possess guns. We also, under the natural law, under the common law, we could possess guns to defend ourselves. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato, our chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Again, the website is cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate you bringing a light to these issues. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, 
and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Well, you need to talk to Matt and Megan Chionis uh, there with the Gulf Coast International Properties. Had a chance to visit with them. They are terrific. They've got a program uh, that uh, complimentary post-closing concierge services that you need to find out about. So you may have a favorite agent you're thinking about selling. Make sure you speak to Matt and uh, Megan Chionis at 239 239- 269-5310. 269-5310 is the phone number. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Uh, as always, it's good to be with you. Thank you, Andy. Always good to be with you as well. Looking forward to our discussion. And uh, lately you've been starting off with uh, a quote. Yeah, I think quotes can be overused if there's nothing else but the quotes. But I think quotes can be substantive in terms of uh, focusing on certain issues. So my quote of today is this. Dictatorships foster oppression. Dictatorships foster servitude. Dictatorships foster cruelty. More abominable is the fact that they foster idiocy. And this is a quote from an Argentine writer during their darker days. And I'm not suggesting we have crossed over that line into a total dictatorship. Yet, I think we can see all of the early symptoms, uh, primarily based on the indiscriminate rulings coming out of the White House uh, under theoretically executive orders, that certainly we are on the, uh, on the cusp of moving into what can only be described uh, as a dictatorship, Bob. Well, I'll add also the lack of election integrity in so many cases where people are concerned whether their vote really counts. So that certainly adds to the formula. Yeah, I mean, we have every symptom of a banana republic, if not in existence, certainly in the making. Uh, And I think this is something that has to be really explored and and addressed more significantly by the by the political elites. They uh, too many of them seem to accept much of this as being uh, normal, as as if everything is okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a very dangerous thing to uh, to just allow what's going on to go on without significant challenge. Uh, So I think that's 
that's where we are, a dictatorship in the making with so little pushback that it worries me uh, quite a bit, Bob. Yeah, well, uh, Thomas Jefferson said that there should be a revolution in every generation, peaceful revolution, and uh, I think we're lacking that lately, so I think it's time for us to get back to the Constitution. Usually start off also with some good news for us, Andy. Do you have some? I, I've got some, and I'll, I'll talk about these in some depth uh, without trying to take up too much time. Um, Kevin McCarthy has ordered an impeachment probe on, on Joe Biden, of course. I think it's perfectly justified. I think we have uh, perhaps all the information that could possibly be needed uh, to understand the corruption, illegality uh, of the Biden administration or his activities going back uh, prior to becoming president. I think this is, this is not disputable at this point. So I think it's good news. I think this will also uh, bring out additional information for the public to, uh, to assess in terms of its value and impact. So I think, yes, this is a good news story. I would just offer one potential downside of this, and uh, this is one of the scenarios that could unfold. Uh, once, I think he will be impeached in the House. I think when this goes, this impeachment goes to the Senate, he will not be convicted. Now, how the Democrats, how the left and the media will play this out is that this failure to convict in the Senate is tantamount to his being found not guilty yeah. of all the charges that were being brought against them. So I think that the uh, the dullard Americans who follow the political left uh, will somehow gain substance uh, in their minds from the fact that he will not be convicted uh, on the impeachment charges, Bob. Well, you know, it just underscores the fact that it's a political process, not a legal process. Unfortunately, uh, many senators have already said that Hazard doesn't have a chance, and they haven't even seen the evidence yet. So uh, to me... Uh, I think it's important that it's revealed to the American people. That's our opportunity. Hopefully the news media will cover it, or hopefully uh, our listeners and the American people will start tuning in to real news. With the need for a two-thirds vote in the Senate, uh, it's almost impossible to believe that they would reach that, that threshold. Uh, on the other hand, if the Democrats have in fact decided they do not want Joe Biden, this may be the moment where they could... <clears throat> I'm sorry, where they could document that by voting uh, to convict. So, you know, we'll have to see what plays out. Uh, in general, this is really good news for me or for us. Uh, but I think there is a potential uh, downside. It's a limited downside, but I think it has to be monitored, Bob. Um, another good news story is uh, uh, President Trump uh, took, recently took a very strong stand against uh, transgender insanity, as it's been called. Uh, he has uh, vowed to keep uh, men out of women's sports. Uh, and so I think he's going to take these issues on uh, if and when he becomes president in 2025. So I think those type of strong positions are, are rare in America. So I was glad to see that happening. Uh, one more good news story is uh, Senator John Kennedy, who is infinitely entertaining. I think any, yeah. <laughs> most of us really, really like listening to John Kennedy. Yeah. But in a Senate hearing the other day, I, I guess it was yesterday, uh, read excerpts from the book Gender Queer. And uh, it was so outrageous, so vulgar, so profane, uh, that many of even the LGBTQT uh, peoples in, in attendance uh, pushed back against Kennedy for having the audacity to read this in the Senate hearing. Uh, so it's okay for children in their libraries, according to them, yeah. but certainly not, not good enough. 
not appropriate for a Senate hearing. To me, that just is such an exposing concept that I, I think it's very valuable. Good news, Bob. It is very valuable. I appreciate him taking the step to do that. You know, we've seen that happen in local school boards. Same type of effort, uh, usually shut down by the attorney present to represent the school board. But, uh, you know, it's, it's appalling to see. I mean, if he, once you understand the appalling uh, nature of the information that's in these libraries, uh, you would be a totally offended. So I'm really happy that he took that step. Yeah, I think we need more people taking on these issues directly without, without apology or without modification, uh, as John Kennedy did. So I think we need to, to see more John Kennedys and, and certainly the likes of, uh, of President Donald Trump, no doubt about that, Bob. Um, this next one is not necessarily a good news story, except in one sense. I like sports, as, as, you, as you probably have, uh, have gathered. Uh, one of the reasons I like sports, particularly as a teacher, uh, is that effectively it allows us to see things that we can't see in any other environment. We can talk about them, let's say, in corporate. We can talk about motivation, leadership, intensity, dedication, planning. But in, in sports, we can see them. Uh, recently, after a four-month extensive buildup about the, uh, the fate of the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers as their incoming quarterback from, from the, uh, the Green Bay Packers, four plays in to the season, he snaps his Achilles tendon. Now, first of all, this shows how the best laid plans of mice and men ganged up to stray. So there, there is a perfect example of it right there. Another is the failure to make appropriate uh, corrections in a system that's dysfunctional. What's the dysfunctional system? At MetLife Stadium, they used AstroTurf. Now, AstroTurf does not have the same give on foot contact as does natural turf. Uh. Natural turf will give before the leg gives. Astro-tough turf will survive that. Uh, so effectively what we're seeing is a failure to make take corrective action, and we have to gain an understanding of how quickly a plan can go, can go up and smoke, Bob. I had no idea. Well, thanks for bringing that to our attention because, you know, I was thinking to myself, boy, the Jets just can't buy a break. Here they have this long contract. And uh, now the player goes down, and it's, it's going to be years to recover uh, from this because of the amount of money that's been committed to him. Well, at the age of 39, it's dubious whether or not he can come back from an Achilles tendon tear. Uh, even younger players are generally limited to some extent by that kind of injury. Uh, so whether Aaron Rodgers can come back is, is I think, dubious. I, I think it's probably that, that he will make it back if he chooses now. The, the rehabilitation process is, is deep and extensive, uh, so I don't know whether he's willing to go through that. But with $75 million or a portion of that on the line, uh, I think he might make he might make the effort, Bob. Andy, we need to take just a little bit of a break here. Can you stick around? I have no place better to be, Bob. Okay, thank you, Andy. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. 
School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences, putting on great performances. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have us continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Do you have any more good news? Well, this is a semi-good news story in, in the sense that um, I think you have to interpret it as a good news story. Uh, but I finally decided for President Trump who his vice presidential nominee should be. And I think I'm going to email the, the president and let him know what my choice was. I'd like you to understand that back in 2008, I think I was the only American who suggested Sarah Palin would be John McCain's vice presidential nominee. I know of no one else who predicted that other than me. Now, with Sarah Palin, I was not advocating per se. I was just predicting that she would be his choice, and in some way I got it right. So here's where, here's where my choices have gone. I gave this a lot of thought. It came down to two people. That was Elise Stefanik and Joni Ernst, senator from Iowa, uh, and, the, and the congresswoman from, from New York. Uh, my final choice, and you can uh, write this down, and we'll go back to it after it actually happens. My final choice, Elise Stefanik from New York. She will be, in my estimation now, of course, uh, President Trump's uh, vice presidential nominee. Uh, I would have chosen Joni Ernst, except she has failed to uh, support a presidential candidate for 2024. I think that will write her off of of, of Trump's potential for choosing her. Uh, she's an ex. She would be an excellent choice. Uh, on the other hand, Elise Stefanik has supported Trump from the beginning and has been absolutely supportive in terms 
terms of his 2024 candidacy. So Elise Stefanik, I believe, will be the vice presidential nominee, Bob. Well, thank you for that. Did the uh, governor of South Dakota enter into your thinking? Yes. I mean, as a matter of fact, almost all prominent women politicians entered uh, entered into my consideration. Uh, I just, and it's, it was a very hard, fine line to create differentiation. Uh, I built it primarily with Stefanik based on her, her record in the House, uh, and beyond that, her unlimited support uh, for President Donald Trump, which I think is an important factor uh, as he enters the Oval Office. He's going to need that kind of absolute support from his vice presidential nominee, and I thought that Stefanik was the best to give it to him. Well, and plus, of course, she brings uh, her connection to New York, which is not anywhere near a, a, a purple state so uh, that that could be helpful as well so interesting so Andy hey you uh you lived I believe you lived in New York on 9-11 I was wondering if you had any thoughts to share with us yeah I, I I've got several actually um <clears throat> excuse me Bob uh, I was teaching a class in New York City uh, at the time of uh, of 9-11. Uh, I wasn't in the city at that point. My class was an evening class. It was a Tuesday. Uh, but we started to meet the, the week uh, after that. Uh, the, Jake, the Jacob Javits Convention Center, which was a block from my campus, uh, was the, the staging area for the recovery <clears throat> from 9-11. Uh, my son also working for Giuliani at that point was part of the uh, recovery team working out of a barge on the uh, on the Hudson River uh, in his office was on Rector Street only a few blocks away uh, from the World Trade Center he normally was there uh, every morning but this morning he was not that morning he was not uh, he had got a promotion and so he was going in a little bit later so I, I've got these these correct uh, connections I had a good friend as many people did in the city uh, killed during that uh, that horrible event uh, so yeah I mean th those are my retrospectives they have a, a certain amount of personal involvement that uh, that I think uh, when the, the day rolls around always brings about a, uh, a strong very very sad rem remembrance of that day but the point I'd like to make, I guess, more so today is I, I co-hosted a meeting at my college. I think it was about three weeks after 9-11. It was a large meeting. Uh, there were approximately 200 people in attendance, probably more. And I can honestly say on that day, only three weeks after 9-11, I was the only one in that rather large audience that absolutely supported America as it pertained to that event. Everyone else wanted to bring some uh, some causal effect of American actions into it, that America had caused it. Americans' uh, pr prior uh, actions in the Middle East uh, was the causal factor of this thing, that how can anybody like these, these uh, hijackers be so committed and so fanatical if their cause was not just? But no one, Bob, no one offered absolute support of America and absolute condemnation of the event without modification. So I bring this up because it's been long cited that America was unified after 9-11. Now, I would suggest uh, certainly uh, the day after, with 343 firefighters having been killed, and just just an incredible number that just uh, beggared the, the ability to understand it, Bob. Uh, one fireman being killed in New York City was a tragedy. 343 was just, just beyond anything that could be uh, discussed in any, in any manner. So, yeah, I, I understand the, uh, the event. I, I was 
for all practical purposes there during the uh, the event and the recovery and this hosting of that meeting, I think, showed that no, America was not unified uh, on any significant ongoing basis post 9-11. I think we've seen that certainly extend right through till today, Bob. Just reminds me, do you think uh, the, the audience was suffering from Stockholm Syndrome? Uh, the audience your, your audience uh, that the group that got together to, to uh, and their sentiments about the uh, the uh, bombing it, or the very hard to tell I mean certainly <clears throat> this was an academic meeting for the most part although uh, there were a lot of uh, local politicians there there were uh, several imams from the local uh, Islamic community there uh, and you know the, the momentum can be built up in a meeting like that where everyone wants to go with the flow and, and the flow was certainly, as I described it, Bob. Yeah. Uh, now, I fought this battle uh, right as strongly as I could, um, you know, and even taking on the imams and their, uh, their interpretation of Islamic jihad. Uh, and yet, I don't think I, I dented anyone in that meeting, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and as we uh, went further into this with uh, President George W. Bush, uh, declaring Islam to be a religion of peace and having no no potential for the offering of war based on its essential doctrines. Uh, I think we can see how this thing unfolded as, as time went on, Bob. Well, as Mark Twain said, uh, you need to support your country at all, at all times, and your government when it deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we need to take another little break. Can you stick around? I'll, I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Here in the uh, Blue Provence commercial, reminds me that Sizzle Dining is going on. It's running through September the 27th. 55 restaurants participating in the Naples area, and it's uh, $1 from each meal goes to support the blessings in a backpack of Southwest Florida, uh, support not for profit that supports food insecure elementary school students. So uh, I encourage you to visit the website sizzledining.com, sizzledining.com. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. I see there's a hurricane moving up to hit New England. I'm just watching the news right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's pretty brutal hurricane, too. Yeah, right? it seems that way. seems that way. So let, let's hope they come through healthy. That's, that's all we can say. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Trump is now on this journey to uh, represent the Republican Party in the presidential race. A lot of variables still, but it looks like he's gaining momentum. Well, he's gaining momentum. Certainly, I think the attacks on Trump have uh, have uh, solidified his support, increased his support. And I think we're seeing a, a uh, qualitative change in how this is all being verbalized. If we go back just a couple of weeks, a month perhaps, uh, many people were saying that the Democrats are, are in fact bringing these indictments against Trump because they want to strengthen him because they want to run against Donald Trump in 2024. All of that nonsense, for the most part, the largest part, is behind us. It is now being clearly recognized and identified that Donald Trump is, uh, unless something dramatic and I think unexpected at this point occurs, Donald Trump will be the nominee. Yeah. And I think that is their worst possible fear. Soros's son is, is speaking in that kind of language that Trump must be stopped. I, I hear, I, I'm reading uh, other uh, conservative commentators and uh, using phrases like, um, uh, let's see now, uh, it's Trump or death. Now, that's such a strong statement. But the implication, obviously, is that if Trump is not elected in 2024, uh, America is, is finished. Um, another statement says America, if Trump doesn't win in 2024, is over. Uh, so I, I think we're looking at a change in the way this whole process is being assessed. Uh, the, the Republican political elite, uh, I don't think, has quite gotten on board with the reality of this. I think Trump is uh, essentially the, uh, the, the candidate in 2024 at this point, again, unless something uh, untoward happens. Uh, and we're looking at, I think, a, a strong potential that Donald Trump will win in 2024, of course, with the consideration it must be a legal election. But I think that's what we're looking at right now as compared to where we were less than a month ago, Bob. I think you're right, and I'll add to that. Uh, I'm a Trump supporter. Now, s some people say, well, you must be a fanatic or somehow or an extremist. No, I simply want us to get back to making America great again. I like the notion that uh, we could get back to the Constitution. I like the notion of a smaller government. I like the notion of trimming down uh, the deep state and getting rid of a, a lot of the excess that we have. Trump, I think, with his experience, is the only one, and with the lack of commitments to other uh, financial sources. I think he is the guy that could pull this off. He more than anybody else. Not that uh, DeSantis is a bad guy or anything like that. I'm just thinking he's the guy that can make it happen. And he's our last hope for saving this this country. Yeah, I, 
I totally support that. Again, also your comment on DeSantis, a, a fine man, potentially a great man as time unfolds. Uh, but I think Trump, as you've, as you've reinforced, is the only person that we have that can take on the, the deep state and have any chance of being successful. Right. So I think, as the, one of the uh, conservative commentators says, it's Trump or death. Now, that may be overly dramatic, but I think the implication of that is certainly significant. Uh, and so we have to see how this plays out. I'd like to see the Republican elite and the Republican rhinos and the Republican Party in general get behind this man. Uh, so I think we can go ahead unified uh, as a party and, and possibly save America, Bob. Uh, from your lips to God's ear, I don't see it happening. I don't see the unity, uh, unfortunately. Uh, what we see going on, for example, right now is McCarthy. He's, he's kind of getting his back up against the wall with Getz attacking him and thinking that we should replace him with somebody else in, as the uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, and it's primarily because he is a, in my opinion, in, in so many words, a rhino. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that certainly is true. It's, it's, there are so few... Uh, that that rise to the to the occasion, and the occasion is that America is sinking into a loss of its constitutional uh, considerations, uh, a loss of individual rights, uh, a loss of the ability of the American people uh, to to survive without the government controlling every facet of their lives. Uh, I think that those things uh, are the critical things. There are other issues, undoubtedly, mm -hmm. but when we're talking about what really matters. It's in fact preserving the constitution institution, preserving the rights of Americans, and getting the government out of the lives of almost everybody in this country, Bob. Well, and I'll add, if for, for those that may be wondering why people are so devoted to Donald Trump, the reason is because they basically uh, share my sentiment, which is he's our last hope to save the country. Because uh, right now, the, the way the uh, left is moving in, in terms of uh, destroying our, our rights to uh, trending on our, our liberties. I mean, there, there seems to be no a conscious effort to undermine the United States of America by the political elite. And uh, it's got to stop. We've got to do something about it. Well, let me just reinforce. Originally, I was a Ted Cruz supporter back in 16, uh, and Trump earned my support. It wasn't somehow I just immediately admired Donald Trump as he came down the escalator. Right. He earned my support as a candidate. He earned my support as a president. If he had not done that, I would not be invested in Donald Trump. Uh, we're not people on the left who support without challenge uh, their candidates. Uh, I think we are not those kind of people. Uh, we challenge our people. We understand who they are. We understand their pluses and minuses. And certainly, Donald Trump's pluses far, far outweigh any minor minuses that might be associated with his political life. Bob. Andy, we've got so much more to talk about, but you know what? Time is expiring for us. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It's a great read, off-topic for today's discussion, but I encourage you to take a look at Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Bob, remind me next week, I want to talk about EVs. I think it's a very important discussion. Well, it is, and it's on my list, too, so we'll look forward to it. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Take care, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Well, we've got some great guests lined up for you for tomorrow, including uh, Mike, uh, Max Stoddard. He is with the Foundation for uh, 
for uh, the Florida Citizens Alliance. I'm sorry, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley is the founding president of Less Government. Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon, will be joining us, as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. He will be with us as well. Really appreciate uh, your listening to the show. Thanks so much for being a patron of the show, and uh, uh, I hope you'll encourage your friends to listen if you enjoy it, uh, because that's one of the ways we support our advertisers. And I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Uh, Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.